everyone and welcome to Cash, an online community for career advice for college and high school enthusiasts. On this channel, we will help you navigate the exciting journey from classrooms to careers. I'm Anya Nakpal, your host, and I will help you learn from inspiring guests who have forged their paths in various industries. In each episode, we dive into the world of different careers, shedding light on opportunities you might not have considered, and providing valuable insights to help you make informed decisions. On Cash, we believe that a successful career is more than just landing the right job. It's about achieving a balance between professional growth and personal well-being. That's why, alongside our career discussions, we'll be exploring tips and strategies for managing your personal finances and maintaining a healthy and fulfilling lifestyle throughout your academic and professional journey. If you're new to the channel, please make sure to follow us. Again, I'm your host, Anya, and this is Cash. And if you are pondering college majors, internships, or just looking for a dose of inspiration, you are in the right place. With that, let's dive in. Joining me today is Jill Cassell. She has a wealth of experience in higher education space and is currently working as an executive director, Office of Graduate Degree Programs at Columbia Law School. Hi, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Anya. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Could you kick us off with your background and career journey? Absolutely. Um, you know, it was just a little bit about my background. I am from the woods of Maine. Um, when I tell people um, sort of how I ended up at Columbia Law School in New York City, um, some of my friends that I grew up with say, they sort of shake their heads and they're like, how on earth did you ever end up in this space? Um, traveling the world, recruiting students globally, um, working with students from across the world. And I've been doing this for over 20 years now. Um, and, you know, again, as this this um, young girl from small town, rural Maine, um, you know, a town of 7,000 people, how on earth did I ever end up here? Um, and the answer is, um, I just, I, I don't really know. Um, when I was, you know, my kids' ages, who are 11 and 13, I didn't ha- know that I would end up here, but I knew that I had a drive to do something different. And not necessarily to be, I loved where I lived, but to be in a different space and to meet different types of people and to try different things. So um, I, you know, when I was in college, I was, I, I was taking French um, where I grew up. I was near the Canadian border, um, French Canadian border, and French was like the language for us to learn. So I started learning it quite early. Um, and I, you know, just kept with it. I kept with it in college. I, um, had a teaching fellow. I studied abroad. I had a teaching fellowship in France. And while I was studying abroad, I said, how do I become that person who organizes these experiences for students? Um, and I started looking at the people that I was working with um, while I was a student in college and said, how do they get these jobs? I always thought about that academic, you know, the professor's And I was like, oh, you have to get a PhD and you have to do that. But then I didn't realize there were all these people behind the scenes who made the magic happen for students. Um, And it sort of clicked with me that there's this whole other world out there. And so and that that was really interesting to me. Um, So I started being involved as a student in college just with thinking about, you know, how I could be involved with student organizations. So I got more involved in student organizations organizations. Um, in college. And then 
after college, I, I worked as a te- I worked in, I had a teaching fellowship in a foreign university, again, trying to sort of broaden my perspectives a little bit, get myself out of the woods of Maine. Not that, again, that there's anything wrong with that, but just sort of expanding where I, where I was from. Um, and from there, it just sort of blossomed. I came home and I got a job with an international education company where um, I worked really hard and got to travel a lot. Um, it was the private sector, so I wasn't in higher education yet. Um, but it really solidified that I didn't want to work in in the private sector. I didn't want to be in business. Um, I really wanted to be in the education space. I also appreciated the opportunity to work a little while first before going straight back to graduate school because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study, how I wanted to do it, if I wanted an MBA, if I wanted you know, what it was that I really wanted to do. And it enabled me to really land on, I wanted to do an education degree and an education administration degree. And I had a chance to talk to a lot of people about what that meant and how I could go about it. Also to come to to the conclusion that the right time to do a degree is when you're ready. And you also don't have to go if you don't get into the choice, the school that you really want to go to. Um, Graduate school should be, you know, something fun and that's your choice and all of that. And so I waited and then I waited until I got into the program that I really wanted to do. Um, And I did it, Um, had amazing internships. And from there, I just sort of took off how I landed in law schools. I'm not a lawyer. So that's kind of an interesting story. I went to a conference while I was in graduate school on international education, and it was Back in the days when you had paper resumes, so if that dates me, um, that can tell you a little bit, but I put my paper resume in a folder and my boss, uh, when I worked at Boston University Law School, um, pulled it out of a folder and called me on my flip cell phone and said, "Um, I think you'd like working with um, LLM students, which is the type of student that I work with at law schools. And I said, I don't know what an LLM is. And So he explained it to me and he said, they're international lawyers who come to the U.S. for a year um, and they study U.S. law. Some of them take a bar exam. Most of them go home afterwards, but you sort of do everything for them. Um, You're a student affairs professional. You do admissions. You do alumni relations. You do a little bit of all of it. And I said, that sounds really fascinating, Um, but I'm not a lawyer. He said, I don't think you need to be. Um, And so he gave me a shot and it's just sort of propelled me in this career direction that um, I have adored ever since um, and has really melded all of these things that I love. It's, you know, the international aspect, it's working with people, it's um, it's a, it's so many different aspects of um, higher education um, and also just being able to, you know, try different things at, at all different times. And re- I've really been thrilled. So again, fast forward 20 years and here I am at Columbia University in the city of New York. Thank you so much for sharing. And it's awesome that you work a job that you seem to love a lot. Yeah, so absolutely. What does a current day in the life look like for you? Great question. Um, It really depends on the time of the year. Um, It's so cyclical what we do. So currently right now I am in our admissions reading period. So I am reading applications all day long um, for the most part. Um, 
which are can be sometimes it's people and I read applications from all around the world. We have applicants from over 100 countries, um, which is really fascinating. There are these amazing lawyers who are doing all sorts of different things. And it's really, really interesting. Um, but mixed in with that, it's not just that. It's um, we, our current. It's working with our current students too. So they just arrived back for their spring semester. So I was doing academic advising for them, um, getting them settled into their classes, helping them troubleshoot. Um, I had a student who was last week who was really in um, emotional distress, um, had a really serious issue um, arise. So I was working with um, that student, helping them get mental health support on campus, um, also helping them determine whether they needed to take a leave of absence um, and helping them manage the bureaucracy of the institution. Um, I've been working a lot with our general counsel's office at the university. There's a lot going on right now. I'm in charge of admissions and financial aid for our department, so I oversee it. Um, working with our general counsel's office, making sure we're in compliance with all of the new um, Supreme Court, the um, affirmative action rules. Um, so there are lots of things that are constantly changing and evolving. Um, my role is always shifting. So, I mean, each day brings up something new. Um, it's exciting. Um, it's sometimes you sometimes you want to tear your hair out, but most of the time it's they're really prickly challenges, and I, I love that. Um, it also requires a lot of empathy because you don't know what's going to walk in your in your door. Um, I will be sitting in my office planning to read many many applications, and it might I might just be um, spend the day working with a, a with some students, um, and that's really. Um, part that's 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 the best part of my job to be quite honest um so um and that's what really helps us continue to build our programs better and recruit great students too to the program at different times of the year too it's also recruiting so i spend a lot of time working with our alumni um liaising with our alumni office and then traveling to different countries around the world, um, looking at strategic places like where do we need, where, ha where haven't we had um, students come recently? Where do we need to travel to try to get students? Um, you know, and, and each year we do a different sort of strategic plan about where we're going to go. So this past year um, alone, I traveled to Asia. I went to Japan and Hong Kong. I went to Brazil and I was in Europe as well. So um, it's pretty exciting. Um, lots of places to go, um, you know, and then, but that was just me. We had other people in on the team who went to, we had some people who went to Africa. We had people who went to Australia, New Zealand. We had people who went to um, Mexico, Colombia, um, different parts of, again, South America. Other people went to other parts of Europe, um, Canada. Um, so we, we really try to hit the globe as much as possible. And the places that we didn't hit this year, we'll try to hit next year, um, provided that, again, the, that the university will permit us to travel to the regions, too. It has to be safe to do so. Thank you for sharing. That sounds yeah. like very interesting. Yeah. Um, and what are a few key skills, qualities, or values, in your opinion, that matter the most to be successful in your field? I think you need to be... A lot of things. I think adaptability, um, given that you're always, you, you could have anything come up at any given moment. So, you know, I have my to-do list every day and I need to be able to adapt on a moment's no notice. Um, openness, active listening, empathy, the ability to collaborate with a lot of different people from a lot of, diff a lot of different stakeholders. Um, 
you know, we serve students, but we also work for the university. So we have to work within the university's policies, um, which, and the university is a big bureaucracy in a lot of ways in the best possible way, but there are a lot of different moving parts. Um, so some people see, you know, just one part of it. And oftentimes the students see just one part of it, whereas we have the whole picture. Um, so my job is really to help inform the students and help them come to an answer or help my work with my colleagues to come to the best answer that's going to best serve our students or our alumni population or or our office or the the school itself. Um, I've, I think that humility is also really um, important. It's not always when you're working on these projects, it's not about me personally being right. It's about coming to the right decision um, for whatever it is that you're working on. So always keeping that in the back of my mind. Got it, thank you. And I th you mentioned having connections with people. So how important do you think networking is in building a successful career? I think it's really critical. Um, I talk to this, I talk about this with my students a lot. I also do a lot of um, volunteering for both my undergraduate and my graduate institution. Um, where I volunteer to just be a resource. Um, and people call me this week alone. I had um, two different students call me from my my college um, just for informational inf interviews. And it's sometimes really hard to make that first call. Um, and I will say, just do it. Um, I am somebody, um, I guess my I would say it's important to know that you don't have to come from a certain means or a certain background or whatever it might be to develop a network. I am going to go back to what I said at the very beginning. I'm from the woods of Maine and I'm from rural Maine, small town where very, a very small, it's not like Scarsdale high school where my kids are going or Scarsdale where most kids are going to go to college. Um, it's, it was a very different dynamic. Um, you know, I was more of the outlier than the, you know, in what I did. Um, and so I will say, all of these things for me felt like that much more of a hurdle. I didn't have access to a network growing up. I didn't have access to those things. I do um, now. And a lot of that is just, you just have to make that first call. It's okay. Sometimes it's finding that one person who's willing to help you. And it doesn't have to be the CEO of whatever. It could be the person who's like, you know, the, the lower, you know, the associate or, you know, the admin, talk to somebody who's in the organization and they can get you, um, they'll just give you ideas. Um, you're just seeking information. Um, you know, I think it's, I, like I said, I'm proof positive that you don't have to be from a certain background or have a certain thing. Anybody has, has access to a network. Um, I, imposter syndrome is real, push through it, um, make those calls send those emails. You will have some people who will totally ignore them. Just push through. Um, just keep sending them. Um, most people will, and people will genuinely want to help um, and answer your questions. They're really eager to, to give you advice and say, here's where I made mistakes. Um, here's what I would do differently. Um, here's somebody that I know. It's okay to also say if they don't know where, you know, if they don't have the answer for you, say, do you have, do you have any recommendations of somebody else that I could ask? Um, it's a really good, good skill and it's a hard skill, but it's a good skill. Um, and it's one that I, it's taken me a long time, um, 
to develop and learn. Um, but my network has been really critical in helping me develop my career. Um, and I work at it. I really work at it. Um, it's the one thing that my husband and I joke about. He's very into tech and all of that. And his, he says, you have a better LinkedIn network than I do. And it makes me crazy. <laughs> so, but I work at it. Um, so I will say it really makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And did you ever have a mentor who guided you in your career journey? I've had many. Um, and to be fair, um, many were not my immediate supervisors. I will say that a lot have been people that I've met sort of tangentially throughout my career, um, whether they were professors or um, just people that I met. Some of them are people that I've met traveling, um, you know, through my work. Um, you know, I, I met some people on the road, some people who work in this field with me, who then became really amazing mentors to me um, and just gave me such incredible advice. And they were great people because they weren't necessarily in my organization, but understood what I do. Um, they were really great people to bounce ideas off of and to say, even when you're feeling like frustrated or maybe even a little burnt out. They're great people to just to sort of center you and say, actually, Jill, here's what's going on. And, you know, um, and or to say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Um, and to just remind you of, you know, or, or to give me that little push that I needed um, in the right direction. Um, and I've found that they've been really helpful. Um, sometimes your mentors can be people who are outside of your field, too. And I think it's important to seek people who are in just sort of all areas. Um, remember a mentor doesn't, again, I think the most important thing is remembering mentors don't have to be your immediate supervisors. Um, they're, they can come in all different formats. Yeah, I completely agree. I think mentors are super important. They can give you great advice, which I think mm -hmm. is very important, especially when you're just getting into the workforce. Completely. And take advantage of them. Please, you know, take advantage of them and stay in touch with them too. Um, you know, send them a holiday card, send them a, you know, a, an email every once in a while. I get, and I, I didn't realize that, you know, you sort of all of a sudden realize the tables have turned and you realize that you're a mentor to a lot of people. And I hear, I frequently hear from people who I've mentored over the years and I love it. Um, I really do. So it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in your line of work, how do you approach the concept of work-life balance? Do you have like hobbies that you do outside of work? Uh, not very well, <laughs> to be fair. Um, great question. Uh, it's an ongoing challenge, uh, you know, especially as you, it, I would say I was much better at it when I was younger, um, before I had a family and um, those sort of commitments as well. Once, once I had a family, it's been, it's become much more challenging because I'm never off, you know, it's, it's work sort of gets the benefit of, I think of the way that we work now is that we're always plugged in, but the disadvantage is we are always plugged in. <laughs> so it means that we're able to do things like, you know, participate in a carpool or work remotely if we need to, you know, flex our work if we need to, or do things like that. But, um, you know, so that I can attend a, a child's game or, you know, go to the orthodontist or 
you know, do family vacations, but it means that sometimes I'm going to get a work call while I'm on vacation or that things like that. And I need to be better at setting boundaries, I think. And so I would recommend for people, you know, now who are starting out in the workforce is determining what are your priorities and finding those things. Like, you know, I had those things before I had a family, like, you know, those, those outlets, like certain things that I would do on the weekend, certain things, you know, the hobbies, that type of stuff. Um, I wish that I had sort of maintained those a little bit more strongly um, now, even just one thing, so to speak. Um, right now it's very focused on, I mean, we're good at it, I would say, in doing family oriented things like, you know, our our family vacations, we're going skiing in a little bit. We try to get out on the weekends and do family activities like that, but it is really challenging. So I would say to try to carve out time because even when I'm quote unquote down, I'm always like, I could just open my laptop and do that one more thing. So trying to make sure that you have those things, putting it aside off and away um, is is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think even in school, just like having hobbies outside of school to de-stress and relax is very important. Absolutely. Um, and I I cannot stress it enough. We we I stress it so much with my own children because I'm not modeling it well. Um, and they will say to me, mom, stop, mom, don't do it. You're not, you're not doing what you're, you know, what you tell us to do. And I'm like, you're totally right. And so then I'll, I'll shut the computer and, um, you know, and then we'll do, we'll, we'll do something together. Um, or I'll grab my book or I'll, you know, they, and they, they're thrilled when I'm like, I'm going out with my girlfriends or I'm doing, you know, something like that. They're super happy. So, which I try to make a regular thing too. Like I have standing, um, you know, girlfriend evenings and things like that to try to just keep myself um, centered. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And yep. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of going to switch gears now into financial education and inclusion are crucial for setting up students for a successful future. A well-rounded financial education is critical in helping students navigate the complexities of personal finance and make informed decisions that will benefit them in the long run. So when you entered the workforce, what was the most challenging aspect for you from a financial planning and management perspective? Honestly, I was sort of thrown into it and I had the added part. Um, you know, I came from a family where my family didn't have means. So I was on full financial aid in college. And so I had no, um, I had no safety net to go back to. So in some respects, that was, that was great because I had to figure it all out for myself. But it was also terrifying um, because all of a sudden I had rent, I had utilities, I had student loans, I had all these other bills um, to pay and a salary, which was entry level. Um, and then I had friends who were like, let's go out, let's do this. And I was like, now I need clothes for work too. How do I pay for that? Or, you know, like I need a new pair of winter boots. Like where do these magical things come from, <laughs> you know? And um, you know, and you're eating ramen noodles, which, you know, <laughs> you start to feel like we're scrounging in the work kitchen and you're like, oh, right, this is real life. Um, and so um, I have to say, I, you know, I did a lot to educate myself financially um, during that period. And I, you know, my parents had 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 a similar situation. So they talked to me a lot about how they made it work when they were my age. Um, and 
you know, so that was really helpful. Um, you know, I would say if you do have a, a safety net, you know, a, a sort of a parental or some other safety net, encourage your parents not to bail you out um, if possible <laughs> um, to just or to, it's hard. I'm going to have a hard time not bailing my kids out because I'm in a different position than my parents were. Um, I'm going to want to, um, but I'm going to try really hard to to let let my kids try to figure it out too, because I think that it's, it was really important for me. It was a really big learning. Um, you know, that first credit card bill that I wasn't able to pay off, um, was terrifying. I was so scared that something was going to happen to me, that creditors were going to start knocking on my door. No, I just realized that it was a, a big interest charge that was going on there, but that was also terrifying too. Um, so Yeah. And do you have any specific advice for managing finances? Yeah, I mean, I think learning how to, I, I, taking some financial skills, planning skills classes, um, you know, there were some, my college had some great things when I was a senior, they did, they did this like entering, you're about to be a real, like human being, like a real <laughs> adult. Um, you know, you, you aren't going to be living where three meals a day are provided for you anymore and your housing and like, or with your parents. So uh, take advantage of those things. Take some take some financial literacy classes. Take some you know things. Ask your parents. Ask them to be honest with you. Now, not everyone is. Um, I, I know that different families have different dynamics, but like brutal honesty, you know, like about what things cost, um, you know, and what to expect. Um, you know that maybe that skincare product that. I really want to use, I'm not going to be able to use that anymore. I'm going to have to use the, you know, the generic off-brand label um, because I'm 22, <laughs> um, you know? So, um, you know, and even things like, I think nowadays too, everything you buy, like every time I, I get an app, like on my phone, like so, there's, there sometimes is a cost, you know, associated with that. And like, we look at, we examine our credit card bills every single month and see, what are we being charged? You know, like, because you don't realize how quickly things add up it, and it will start um, catching up with you. The other thing is save. Even if you're saving $25 a month in the beginning, I know it sounds crazy, but like, cause you're not making a lot of money save. You just get that into that mindset of saving when you're, when you're from right from the get go, then it makes a world of difference so that you're not playing catch up later. Yeah, thank you. That's extremely helpful advice because I think it is so important for people to learn how to stay in budget and not like splurge their money, especially coming right out of college. And yeah. I do think that it's super important to exercise ethical financial behavior and make responsible decisions with money. Yeah. And we're not always perfect. And, you know, to forgive yourself too, and you make that splurge every once in a while. But, um, you know, you have, there, there's a lot to do. Um, and we all want to take advantage. But um, I, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I had the opportunity to do that. And I also, I, I, I worked for a while. I went, then went to grad school. Then I had my kids a little bit older than my parents had had me. So by the time I had my own family, I was in a much better financial position than, um, and so I just felt really, I felt, I felt good about where I was, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. now we're going to switch to another topic of discussion and perhaps one of the most important topics of discussion, which is mental wellness. I mm -hmm. think 
For students in high school or college, it's very important to navigate the pressures of academics, extracurricular activities, and social expectations without sacrificing their mental health. Mm -hmm. Do you recall a time in your career when you were faced with a stressful situation that challenged your mental well-being? Many, <laughs> many. Um, you know, think life. Ha I, I say this all the time, and I, I I'm faced daily with students who come to or regularly with students who come talk to me and say, I'm in such a you know stressful situation. How do I handle this? And I say, life is going to happen always. And you never know when it's going to happen. So um, one of the best, I mean, I was in high school and um, my very young uncle was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that was life change. I was very close to him. Um, that was life changing for me. He passed away when I was in college. Um, and it was really, really mentally and it was really mentally challenging. Um, it was really challenging for my entire family. Um, so I immediately walked myself right into the counseling center at school and getting myself set up with regular like therapy and sort of like, again, this was also the early nineties when I think nowadays it's a little bit different, but, um, it was very, it was great, you know, having that set up and getting myself into a regular sort of mental wellness state and the state of sharing and talking back and forth meant that I just, I had these, I had a toolkit and I have never stopped, um, even when I'm feeling good. And I think that's important. So, you know, even when you're feeling good, um, I'm not saying that everybody has to have a therapist, but, um, I'm saying that have something that you do that, that, helps your mental wellness. Um, you know, what is it, whether it's meditation, whether it's, whether it is therapy, whether it's, you have some really close people that you rely on and it can't just be one person in your circle. It has to be more people because you also don't want to emotionally exhaust one person. Um, you know, so that later in, you know, when other hiccups have come along, I've been much better able to handle them. Um, you know, to the point that some of my colleagues have said, I can't, I can't believe your resilience now. Had, am I perfect? No. Um, there are moments when I feel like, you know, I'm, I might crack, but I, go, I always go back to what I've learned, um, from all of those moments and the different people that I've worked with over the years who've, who've taught me a lot. Um, so, I've gained a lot of skills um, for myself uh, and learned a lot about myself too. Um, a lot of self-reflection. Um, it's really, really helpful. So, um, and later on, I mean, six years ago, my father passed away also of cancer and that was really, really awful. I had very young children. I had a crazy busy career. Um, we were in the process of moving. Um, you picture every possible stressful situation, <laughs> um, but I was able to handle it. Um, because I had the, those tools. I mean, it, I'd been doing this for 20 years at that point. So it was much better. Thank you. It was horrible, but it was, it was, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experiences. And I'm sorry to hear about your uncle and father. That's okay. Thank you. <laughs> and I think um, other ways to manage stress and have good mental health is exercise, healthy diet. Exercise. Those two definitely helped me a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. And of course, you mentioned your therapist. So like, 
having a supportive and empathetic community around you, I think is also important as well. Mm -hmm. That and like a friend, uh, like a really close friend group. I mean, I can't stress enough. I have a text thread on my phone that is my Bowdoin girls. I went to Bowdoin undergrad and we have known each other since 1993. So 31 years. Um, and we text every single day. Sometimes it's something so mundane. Um, but today I think we got, we sent no fewer than 50 something texts to each other, which is a little obscene. Um, but, um, it's a Saturday. So, um, but I have to say, those are the things that like are really, I find that fills my cup too. Um, you know, it's just, um, it's like, I call it my smile file. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. I think it is really important to have a very close group of friends you can talk to. Definitely. Um, so our final topic is compassion fatigue or empathy burnout. So mm-hmm. empathy burnout and compassion fatigue are related to mental wellness, but they are often overlooked. For people who are unfamiliar with compassion fatigue, I'm going to provide some background. If you are taking care of someone who is dealing with some sort of a mental health crisis, such as a friend dealing with anxiety or depression or a parent or guardian suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's, etc., the focus is always on the person who is exhibiting these symptoms, and we usually don't ask the caregiver how they are feeling. Oftentimes, the caregiver can experience what is known as secondary traumatic stress syndrome and exhibit similar symptoms of anxiety, depression, and others, which can really affect their mental wellness. So it is important for caregivers to care for themselves while tending to the problems of others. Did you ever have the responsibility to act as a caregiver to a person with a mental illness or disability? And what was your experience? A couple of times, yes. Um, I have, it's happened with some students that I've worked with um, who were really, really suffering and um, relied on me heavily. It, not recently, um, but um, it has, have relied on me heavily. Um, and it's, it's really hard, um, when someone is really struggling, particularly when they're not close to home either. Um, so most remember the context that most of my students are international students. So I really, you know, and I, my empathy, um, sort of, bone comes out and or gene whatever it is comes out in full force um but it also can it's emotionally exhausting and then i would come home and i would feel so exhausted i couldn't give the proper time to my own family and i was really feeling burnt out and stressed and i would snap and so um how did i handle it what i what i really have learned to do is to you know set set limits, set boundaries. Um, and when it becomes too much, when those situations present themselves, I have a stack of resources because like, for example, in, in work, um, we have at work, we have a lot of resources on campus for students. So people who are mental health providers who are there, this is their job. Um, you know, it is my job to point students to resources. It is not my job to be the resource. So, um, it's really important for me to remember that. And that's been really a critical, um, tool, tool in my toolkit, um, is pointing, learning how to be a very strong advocate for them getting their help and helping themselves checking in, um, but not, and then leaving it and saying, I've done what I can. 
I have to, you know, I've pointed them, I've left them within the care of someone who is a, a professional in this. And now I need to take care of myself. And then again, going back to my resources, like you said, making sure that I have my, you know, I reach out to my, my own network um, for whatever it is that I need to blow off steam, um, eating well. Um, like you said, that, that really cannot, when I don't eat well, my mental health is not, not in a good spot either. When I'm not exercising, when I'm too, it, those are excellent points. Um, so that really challenged my mental well-being. Um, it was also challenging when my father passed away. You know, we were all, my whole family was really um, struggling and we were all, I think, relying on each other almost a little bit too much. I think we all suffered compassion fatigue for, for each other at a certain point. And that was really stressful. And we were all trying to manage um, I'm talking about my immediate family that I grew up with. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're parenting up and down, um, and my mom is amazing. Um, and she did, she actually said, you've got to back off. You've got, she said, you're, it's not your job to parent me. Um, and I appreciated that. Um, it was great. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your stories. Um, I have spoken to a lot of people who have experienced compassion fatigue as well. And they almost describe it as like being sucked into this vortex that pulls them down slowly because they, they have no idea how to stop. And I think that's why self-care and self-compassion play such a key role in maintaining a good mental health. So it's critical that everyone, including students, cultivate it in their daily lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's really hard if, if at my age, if I have a hard time managing it, I can only imagine what it's like for teens and young adults um, to handle it. Um, teenagers and young adults, I would say, find a trusted adult when you find yourself being sucked into that vortex and say, this is happening to me. How do I get myself out? Um, um, do you have any recommendations? Um, so because it's, it's really important to be able to take care of yourself too. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for engaging in a conversation with me. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. This has been really lovely. And thank you for having me, Anya. Of course. Thank you for coming. <laughs>